We have already seen Halloween full of candies and other tricky treats. Next came Thanksgiving Day with its famous feasting. Finally, we get the grand finale of festivals, the Advent season that we're now in leading up to Christmas Day. So many spicy foods, so many sugary foods, and all of these reminded us about fantastical stories and other creative works. Some of these might have the spicy bite of sarcasm, and others fill you up with too much sugar or else uh, saccharine flavors. So how is a Christian fan to handle these ingredients with wisdom this season and beyond? Ho, ho, ho. Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, a podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory. I'm Steve Burnett wearing my wacky Christmas sweater. I'm the co-author of The Pop Culture Parent and the publisher of Lorehaven. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I recently munched my way through an entire tin of caramel popcorn. So I'm kind of looking in the mirror with this episode. This is episode 190, Why Should We Enjoy Spicy and Sugary Stories in Moderation? Now, this one is not just a holiday special. We're going to have a couple more of those coming up over the next couple of weeks. So I don't even know whether this episode fits into the ongoing Christmas magic series. I think you could listen to this one just as easily in July and uh, just get a little bit of that Christmas flavor in July. But speaking of flavors, so Zach, with that popcorn that comes in the tin, uh, where it actually does what it says on the tin, do you prefer the spicy popcorn or the sweet popcorn? Well, that's a good question. You know, there was this little country store that we drive by sometimes in Texas that has jalapeno popcorn. And I did not think I would like that, but I, I'm really a sucker for all things jalapeno. So I quite like that. But, you know, the caramel popcorn, it wins out every time. Texas does like to jalapenoize all the things. Some of the stereotypes are true. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking a lot about spiciness coming up here uh, with an important disclaimer, because a lot of people, when they think spicy, they think, oh, this is going to be another one of those episodes where the guys uh, dare to talk about romance and central content. Now, nah, I'm not testing that right now. That's like Valentine's Day type stuff. So uh, <laughs> wait the day after Christmas when they're setting out all the Valentine stuff, and then maybe we'll talk about that. But uh, not particularly speaking about spice or sugary stories, I, I think we're going to talk more epic stories with our first sponsor, Enclave Publishing, with a new release. I think it was set for today, December the 5th, for Lumen. Uh, this is book two of the Nightingale Trilogy series. The first one just won an award uh, at Realm Makers uh, last summer. And this is by J.J. Fisher. Lumen comes out as book two. What if erasing the past cost more than you were willing to pay? Having narrowly escaped their enemies, Stephanie, Dorian, and Cass continue their search for the elusive Silver Tongue, the only one with knowledge of the reliquary's whereabouts. But time is running out for Stephanie, and with Dorian accused of high treason, the quest takes on a new urgency. As secrets from each of their pasts drive a wedge between them, Stephanie invests all her hopes in finding her homeland, Lethe, where her family may yet be alive. But nothing about Lethe is as she expects, and disappointment, betrayal, and danger await her at every turn. That is a book two of the Nightingale Trilogy series. There's more to the description from this uh, series by J.J. Fisher Lumen. You can get more information in our show notes for episode 190. Or for this and all the podcast sponsors, go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. That, that one had a few tongue twisters in there. A lot of words that I really hope J.J. Uh, Fisher would say I pronounced correctly. But speaking of things uh, relating to the tongue, I believe scripture would warn us that there is power in the tongue. And yet with the tongue, we can also taste a lot of stuff, including the sugary and spicy content, uh, which brings me to our ever tasty concession stand, which, by the way, this may be a first is open all this episode because uh, there's so many culinary metaphors we're going to use. 
If you get hungry, just go get yourself a snack because there's going to be a lot of those. But uh, I referred to the idea of spicy. Yeah, we're not talking about uh, uh, suggestive content in fiction, the kinds of things that we would need to identify in the discern section of our Lorehaven reviews. Uh, we're kind of broadening that term there. I'm thinking more about uh, stories with bite, satire, parody, uh, edgy sorts of things, uh, maybe a little insult comedy, uh, maybe something a little more politically charged. But we're going to avoid that in this episode because we already kind of talked about that. But Zach, for example, he mentioned, I think it was in our last episode, differences in people's senses of humor. So I do want to acknowledge those here. There's going to be at least one a movie I'm going to talk about that I haven't seen, won't see, because I really don't care about either of the genres that it's a targeting. But I, I do have some issues with some of the marketing, or at least some questions about some of the marketing. And yet, uh, this is a, a gray area. And I'm never going to say gray area in this episode apart from that. I, I think it's an extra biblical term. Someone used it, Zach, in a discussion not too uh, long ago, and I thought, you know what? I don't like the term gray area. That, that's, I, I realize using it is itself in a gray area, but Scripture doesn't talk about gray areas. And so why bring that into the discussion about something as important as right or wrong? But I'm still going to avoid absolute declarations about right or wrong here. You know, maybe you've got um, but more intestinal fortitude and you can deal with more spiciness. Or maybe you run a lot and you can deal with more sugar. Like every body is different. So I'm going to avoid absolute declarations there, even in the metaphors. But for issues that aren't clearly right or wrong, the Bible has other words besides gray area or middle way or any of that um, kind of armchair philosophy stuff, armchair ethics stuff that people come up with. This is an issue of meat sacrifice to idols, or there's an older term called scruples, or just wisdom. Uh, what is the right decision to make now that may not be the right decision to make at another time or in another place? Uh, this does not overthrow morality. It reaffirms it uh, by keeping absolute right and wrong, absolute right and wrong, and keeping things that are mainly matters of taste and discipline uh, as those. So, Zach, any other concessions, uh, tasty, savory, sweet, or otherwise? Well, I'm just going to say as my concession, don't take me as some kind of hoity-toity person because you're talking to the guy that watched Dumb and Dumber probably a hundred times in college <laughs> and, and many other movies of that, uh, of that type around that time. And judging. Yeah. I, I may have, uh, outgrown a lot of those kinds of humor, but I still hold on to a, a very core sensibility when it comes to humor, which I'll talk about. But I think that there can be a line that you cross when you enjoy certain stories. And we'll, we'll talk about some of those lines here in a little bit. But I think it's okay to be a little self-critical and say, well, I used to laugh at this, but I, I don't really anymore. I'm not going to throw stones at anyone, but I'm still going to call things out that I, I think are, are not great for Christians to enjoy or or they're okay for Christians to enjoy, but watch out that you don't, you know, overdose on them. Well, I also have a late addition to our last episode, 189, where we were celebrating C.S. Lewis reading day. Uh, one of my favorite Lewis quotes from the Screwtape letters, I don't think I mentioned, is where Screwtape tells Wormwood to beware people laughing and getting together and having fun. Screwtape finds this distasteful because hell in Screwtape's uh, vision is a very serious place. They have no time for such nonsense, but they're super practical and they know that people like to laugh. So Screwtape says, well, Wormwood, if your human patient is going to laugh, try to keep him away from joy. Try to keep him away from the joke proper. Screwtape recommends another approach, flippancy. 
where you just laugh at everything and never take anything seriously. What Screwtape doesn't say is that often this is a way of suppressing great pain by pretending that nothing hurts you and that everything is hilarious. That to me is like the Joker uh, in his best incarnations, where the Joker goes around saying, why so serious? And just laughs about everything, including nihilism and violence. Uh, Screwtape loves that kind of thing, so Screwtape recommends flippancy. So that's the kind of thing I'm going to try to be aware of here, especially in myself. Yeah. I'll say, too, though, there, there's two uses of comedy. So there, there's comedy that's just wholesome and, and fun. And then there's comedy that's sort of a cultural weapon, right? Because there is a war on comedy, in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> there are a lot of professional comedians that will not go certain places, not tell certain jokes, all because of a cultural zeitgeist, which is declaring certain topics off limits for laughter. And it's like that old adage, you know, if you want to know who rules over you, determine who you're not allowed to criticize. I'm probably quoting that wrong. Uh, there's a great meme that comes with it. Anyway, there are a lot of topics that we are told don't ever, ever make a joke about this. Uh, and usually it's couched in terms like, oh, because this group of people is so sensitive and vulnerable, like you could crush them if you laugh at them. I, I don't buy that. I think that it's a totalitarian impulse. So there is a cultural response to that that can be good. Where Christians get involved with this is is tricky. But I just go back to the verse that says, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. I think we are to have a, a joyful attitude that is able, I mean, in Psalm 2, it says the Lord laughs at the nations, right? But yes, Stephen, I, I think you're right. Flippancy is that line that we don't want to cross. And there's other lines that we'll get into. Yeah, one other thing, too, I think that analyzing humor, even calling it humor, can become very cringe because the the joy of humor is that it is the unexpected. It is the incongruity of the best kinds are people laughing at themselves and our weird little human habits. It takes, as I think Lewis observed, like an especially wise mind to make a joke about virtue. But everybody is a good joke about virtue, that is. But everybody's always making a mockery of, of sin, but not in a good way. Uh, It's the kind of mockery that normalizes it. Uh, But yet, as you mentioned, Zach, there is another kind of mockery that aims to identify sin as sin. Like, this is stupid. It's destroying us. Why do we do this? I think that that's better. But you can get a little too deep in the weeds trying to analyze humor too much. Um, You try to collect it like a lab specimen. That's why we're only doing this once. Like, similar to our episode a couple of uh, of weeks ago, actually, uh, the one about can political pundits create fantastical stories? Well, this one is uh, kind of a... uh, incidental sequel to that uh, just about two or three weeks later uh, but it also allows me to, to kind of push back on myself because now i feel like we got to the end of that episode uh and i want to create feedback for ourselves like well, wait a minute uh this company y'all were talking about who's doing fantasy like uh, soon after you released that episode uh they dropped a trailer for another movie that was not the pendragon cycle and so that's where i'm gonna start uh, naming the movie, uh, naming names, and then maybe uh, not being so much of a shill <laughs> as I was in uh, episode 188. So chapter one, what do we mean by spicy creative works? I was thinking about this for two reasons, at least, because in the same week, uh, we got people, uh, Christians and conservatives particularly, having different takes on uh, two sources of satire and mockery. There was a trailer that dropped a surprise drop for a sports comedy from the Daily Wire uh, that's streaming on their platform 
called Lady Ballers. And the, 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 the premise of the movie is that men cannot become women and play sports. That's an amazing hot take. Uh, I've never, ever heard that before. Uh, what, what an extremely uh, strange thing to say from the Daily Wire. Now, see, I'm trying to make a joke. Ha ha, too. <laughs> because the joke is that, of course, it would be people from the Daily Wire who would say something like that. It is utterly predictable and blasé. There's nothing really outrageous about it within that ecosystem of people who like culturally conservative entertainment. There's nothing to challenge the audience. There is no surprise there. Whereas with better comedians, what's, uh, what's funny about it is that it is a surprise. For example, uh, if a comedian makes a joke about people of different eth ethnic groups, you know, and kind of just goes right up to the edge of outrage, you know, and then starts making fun of himself uh, or maybe people from his own ethnic group. It's surprising because generally people want to, you know, praise their neighbors or, or make fun of the other guys. But here's a guy who's making fun of himself and his own people so that everybody can kind of laugh together and figure out that, you know, humans may be different, but we all have the same kind of weirdnesses about us overanalyzing. But that's why to me, this teaser trailer did not work because there was no surprise to it at all. Whether, whereas it's actually funnier to say that a bunch of guys doing political punditry and, and owning people with facts and logic would suddenly get very serious and devote tremendous company resources toward uh, an epic fantasy series from a Christian author. Like that's funny to me, but it could yeah, be the Pendragon funny, cycle. The Pendragon yeah. cycle. It could yeah. be funny, uh, funnier if it's actually good. Uh, because some comedy directors, like and even some horror movie directors, like they're very good at action adventure. Uh, there's some crossover uh, skill building there. So that's to me a lot more promising. And not only that, I'm, I just favor the genre more. And that's where we're different, I think, Zach. Because I, I would have never watched Dumb and Dumber over and over, irrespective of being <laughs> a Christian and homeschooled and all that. It's just, it's not my style. So that's where we get into matters of yeah. taste, because I don't care for movies that are labeled comedies. I'm fine with occasional romantic comedy or an action adventure comedy until the MCU ruined them. Comedy as seasoning, and we're back to the food there, rather than just comedy straight up, similar to horror, for example. I, I, I prefer... Yeah. those mixed in with other types of stories but this one was just a sports comedy and the joke is that men have body parts women do not have and this is hysterical and it's not that that's wrong i'm just thinking do we need a whole movie about this and do we really need to uh promote it by saying that it's going to trigger the right people it, it, isn't this kind of a violation in fact it is i think arguably a violation of what we talked about before, weaponizing stories to own the libs. I, I think there are better reasons for us to enjoy story. What is, what is going on? Well, I'll say at the outset, I think the Lady Ballers gag would have been funnier and more effective is a fake movie trailer. That is exactly what I was yeah. thinking. Exactly I, I, what I was thinking. Because I've seen so Three many. Three minutes and you're done. Yeah, I've seen so many great fake movie trailers over the years. I still think about several of them. Like there was one about daylight savings that I probably saw 15 years ago. And I, I think about it every single daylight savings. Yeah, or the one with uh, Ryan Gosling, uh, who's uh, being stalked by the papyrus yeah. font. Yeah, that is so niche, <laughs> and now like a whole lot of people know about that. Yes, or or, or some of the Babylon Bee skits. Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll I'll say at the outset that I I would have preferred that, but look, they're they're free to make a movie. I I don't really care. But you're talking to the guy that you know that drank in the Simpsons and the Far Side with you know with the formula at, as a baby. So I, I've grown up on all this kind of humor. I, I'm partial to it, I'll just say. 
Uh, and I and I particularly enjoy dark comedy, which we'll talk about in a minute. But yeah, it, it's the sort of thing, Stephen, I've kind of grown out of, like I've said, like I, I would, and part of that is just having kids. Like I, I'm not going to watch Dumb and Dumber around my kids. I'm not going to watch, I never saw the Wedding Crashers, but you know, that kind of comedy, like the R-rated comedy. Um, that's I think just some one. of that stuff isn't even appropriate for Christians. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then, and that's probably one of those Certainly lines. Not without that, a skip button or a sensor block or something. I mean, there, there was one movie that came out a couple of years ago called Tag. And it, it's about this true story of these grown men that are <laughs> still in this like epic game of tag where they fly to each other's houses and surprise each other and, you know, tag them and no, no tag backs. The, the real story about it is hilarious, but it was an R-rated comedy. I'm like, I, I already know I'm not going to see it, you know, just because I know it's going to cross so many lines. But I'll say this about um, Lady Ballers in its defense. From what I've been told, uh, no distributors or theater chains would touch it. They they couldn't even get anyone to like respond to them. No movie critics will touch it. Everyone wants, wants to just pretend this doesn't exist. And Jeremy Boring apparently was told you can make a movie about abortion or anything else, but not transgenderism. So, you know, I just want to say props to them for going after that topic that, you know, do not speak against the Lord's anointed, you know, like they, they violated that, right? It, it's that cultural impulse of like, you, you're telling us we can't do that. Well, then we're going to do that. So I, I applaud the courage of them for doing it. Again, it's not my personal style anymore, but that's, that's kind of where I'm laying. Like, I just kind of have mixed feelings about it. I do risk criticizing anything about this, not because, oh, well, the, the Daily Wire cultural conservatives is a sacred cow uh, thou shalt not touch, but yeah. simply because, I, as I said, I do not like sports movies. I don't like straight up comedy movies, vulgarian and otherwise. So I'm not critiquing the movie. Uh, your mileage may vary. And the difficulty here, as we'll discuss a little bit later, is that you start critiquing this and then people start polarizing you. They say, oh, well, you don't like satire. You don't like parody. And that's where I go, kind of like the Apostle Paul. Guys, I used to write satire and parody <laughs> i grew up as a teenager reading dave barry articles like th this this is my territory i've not been a professional humorist i've never done stand-up but i love parody i love weird al songs uh, i used to listen to talk radio just to catch the political parody songs by an artist named paul shanklin who used to do political parody uh for rush limbaugh uh his version of bill clinton performing mambo number no. five is hysterical. I love this kind of thing in moderation. And we'll get to that later, but to just go ahead and tip that there, that's the point here is that a lot of folks who like this stuff seem to be unwilling to grow out of it or to keep it in moderation. And I find that when I watch The Simpsons or you know, binge Futurama or something like that, or even some extremely satirical YouTube videos, like even some of the stuff that's making fun of Disney uh, and that is, uh, you know, gloating over the failure of the Star Wars and Marvel franchises and such. Uh, I have to be careful with those because their cynicism, which I'm guessing either they can afford because it's their livelihood and they have to do it or because they're more resilient to the consequences of it in their real life. But to me, the cynicism rubs off. Uh, if I'm listening to too much of that kind of thing, like it will legitimately affect my day and I will start becoming uh, just a posture of cynical about everything. And so that's where I try to be careful. And I just wonder how many of the folks who are binging on, on this kind of uh, spiciness, these hot takes uh, are now drinking directly from the bottle of the Buffalo sauce for breakfast. And they're not getting a nutritious meal with the hot sauce as flavoring. 
See, I'm not talking about poisonous food here or, or, or something you're not supposed to eat. I'm talking about stuff you can eat, but in moderation. And scripture compares the consumption of food to morality quite a lot, including in Mark 7. So I think we have solid ground here to yeah. uh, extend the metaphor. It, a lot of this is our personal preferences and tastes. Um, I think we are trying to find some kind of lines because that, that's what we do as Christians, right? We try to find the lines that we shouldn't cross. You know, where, where it can obviously go wrong is when personal preference turns into, or even criticism turns into judgment of others, you know. It goes from, I don't like this, to this is bad, and anyone who likes it is bad. I'm not really interested in that. Let me talk about something else that, that's very near and dear to me, which is the Babylon Bee. So I'm I'm a paid subscriber. I have been for over three years. I post in the headline form every day. I've got thousand and a half or so headlines I've submitted. I've got nine of them that have been published. And one thing I've really appreciated from listening to their podcasts is they want to avoid clapter. You know, like the the late show host, you know, Jimmy Kimmel and the others that they just tell jokes for the in-group to to own the conservatives. <laughs> Basically, it's the other way. And they try to avoid that. I mean, a lot of what they publish is, you know, red meat towards conservative Christians. They are not against making fun of their own tribe. Like probably my favorite one was when they had Dennis Prager on the podcast. And then like a day or two later, <laughs> they had a pretty scorching joke like roasting Dennis Prager uh, for something he had said, which I'm not going to go into because this a little bit more of a grown up topic. Yeah, that would get the other kind of spicy. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, you know, the whole thing started off with making fun of worship pastors who wear skinny jeans and, you know, m- making fun of uh, Pentecostals for having laser shows or making fun of Baptists for fog machines, you know, so they, they will make fun of everyone. And so I, I think that's what has really drawn me to them. It's like they are not afraid to make fun of anyone or anything. Um, it sure it skews a certain way, uh, and that's just their brand. But one thing I also appreciate is on their, you know, community guidelines for their uh, forum. It says, "Do not use profanity or mask profanity with asterisks or imply profanity." You know, the moderators have taken down several headlines in, in the forum. It's, so it stays fairly clean. It stays pretty wholesome. Uh, yes, a lot of it is, you know, roasted. Daily Wire, different outfit, not necessarily a Christian by name, although there are a lot of Christians involved. Again, it's more that conservative angle, that cultural angle of like, we're going to go after the sacred cows, or our culture says, don't touch. But yeah, Stephen, I, I think you've got the right point there is that it's not surprising. And I think that's usually the value of comedy is when it is when something surprising happens. So I feel like I saw the whole movie in the trailer and I, and I, I laughed at it. I thought it was funny, but to see the whole movie, I'm like, well, I've, I've already seen it. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good point. Uh, plus the fact that it's just one joke over and over. Yeah. Now, if, if the movie, no, this wouldn't happen and I wouldn't want it to happen, but the movie took a surprise and like, Turns out that actually one of these guys didn't get in touch with his feminine side. And, you know, he discovers he needs to be more nurturing, even though he can still be a man. You know, it's corny. Uh, it's a little bit more sweet. Uh, and and it actually is kind of biblical based there, uh, even if it's by way of a, a more Bulgarian joke that's repeated over and over. Like, OK, I could get I could, I could get behind something like that, because now we're talking about human nature. We're now we're talking about something that is Jeremy Boring himself has said is pre-political. Um, but this idea here is, um, it, it, it just, ah, 
I got a bad taste about it. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan. I'd rather just hold out and like, okay, great. You know, have your fun, but doesn't this kind of step on the brand for something like the Pendragon cycle? Now, you know, they're the guys with millions of dollars running a big company, so they know better than I do. But I just know what I, as a fan, see. Uh, I see like, okay, wait a minute. This is like what happened uh, 20 some odd years ago when they said that the guy directing Shrek uh, was going to direct the Chronicles of Narnia. Well, we are not pigeonhole people. Uh, the guy who directed Shrek with the fart jokes can still be earnest and direct uh, at least two good Narnia movies. Uh, or, or one good one and one just okay one, Prince Caspian. Uh, but it is uh, something that kind of does pigeonhole people. Like, wait a minute, you guys are the ones who do the Vulgarian sports comedy. What makes me think that you're going to do perfectly fine doing an epic fantasy set in, you know, medieval, pre-medieval Britain? Um, it can still happen. People are complicated. But anyway, it just seems to cheapen the whole thing with me. There was another issue that went on, though, uh, moving on from uh, from the, the Vulgarians, or seemingly Vulgarian sports ball movie. Kind of another side of this coin. Uh, people last week uh, in the Christian verse <laughs> on the interwebs were debating uh, the satire and uh, posturings of a popular Christian teacher named Douglas Wilson. Uh, now, he's a satirist and he is one of those um, swashbuckling sorts of folks. Now, there's a difference between someone who's a cultural mercenary just going out selling weapons to both sides and then either not doing any fighting himself or just going out firing indiscriminately. A swashbuckler is more like Errol Flynn's Robin Hood uh, from the old movie. You know, he's, he's, he's laughing. He is following an honor code. He's being a little goofy, but a little earnest at the same time. Like, that's the kind of swashbuckling I want to see. And a lot of people think that they're seeing this in uh, Douglas Wilson. And why does this relate to us? Because Douglas Wilson is the father of author N.D. Wilson, who writes Christian-made fantasy. He's a Christian. He's been a keynote at Realm Makers and everything, the 2020 virtual conference. Uh, great guy. I've met him once or twice. And he writes uh, fantasy. And so some of this is part of that tradition, uh, fantasy and swashbuckling. I mean, swashbuckling itself is a fantasy metaphor. Uh, and so are ideas of chivalry and honor and laughing at evil while also earnestly defeating it. So this affects Christian fantastical fans. Um, whether or not you like whatever you have associated with Douglas Wilson, like I'm not trying to make this all about one person. The point is, there is another pastor who I really respect named uh, Kevin DeYoung, who wrote an article talking about what he called the Moscow mood, a uh, reference to Moscow, uh, not Russian collusion in Vladimir, uh, but Moscow, Idaho. Uh, and it's a uh, czar of Christian comedy there uh, or Christian culture activism, Douglas Wilson. And DeYoung uh, mildly challenged the Moscow mood, which I think was less about Wilson himself, but uh, the, the, perspective of his followers i think a lot of people thought de young was criticizing wilson but i think it's more about what is the effect that this is having you know what are people being drawn to i think a lot of people who grew up in kind of this um squishy don't offend anybody you know uh christian or evangelical environment they are drawn to these kinds of attitudes they're drawn to the swashbuckling young men in particular uh they like a show of strength uh they like a, a show of what seems to them to be courage uh, with some of these cultural issues and they don't like the kind of thing where you have to dress up and be all fussy and uh, try to get along with people who's who absolutely hate you that they associate with some evangelicals uh, and yet zach i think they overdo it maybe this is an audience thing that i've seen they seem to overdo it again with just wanting to drink the hot sauce directly from the bottle 
rather than use it as seasoning for your burger or steak. Like I've enjoyed a Douglas Wilson article here and there, but I wouldn't call myself a stan. And that's not just because he's been in some uh, really controversial stuff uh, regarding folks who've been accused of terrible things that are part of his uh, uh, faith community up there. Uh, and those are some really very serious concerns that are beyond the scope of this episode. I like some of his stuff okay, but it's a seasoning. I wouldn't call myself a stan. Just like I'll catch a Dave Barry article here and there, but I'm not making my whole life uh, about the kind of satire that Dave Barry so skillfully weaves, because even though he's a happier sort of chap about it, or at least he was, um, it can lead to that kind of cynicism. Uh, I'm going to use the parody in the stuff in, in, in moderation, and that's the word I want to keep encouraging people to talk about, and we'll define that more in chapter three. Well, I confess I, I'm not a huge follower of Doug Wilson or Kevin DeYoung. I'm, I'm trying to catch up on all this. I, I know who these guys are. I've been reading some of the critique back and forth. I've appreciated both of what these guys say and, and some other things. It, it seems like the criticism of Wilson comes down to him saying, don't be a wuss. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's not polite. But what is he say? He's saying, don't be a wimp. Okay. Why do people take issue with that? Well, the, do they think that's a bad word? I don't, I don't think it is. Uh, it's one of those uh, pseudo bad words like darn yeah, or dynamit or the kinds of things right. you weren't allowed to say at a Christian romance publisher. Are we really doing this again? Yeah. <laughs> or dad gum. Like these are all acceptable curse words in Texas. So even uh, in fantastical truth and at Lorehaven. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I don't think any of these cross the line because they're, they're, yeah. Anyway, they're not vulgar in, in any sense, in my mind, at least. But no, it's, a, it's a very mild Saxonism <laughs> at best. Yes. Yeah. But I, I think why this actually stings is because what Wilson is saying to a lot of men is don't be effeminate. And this is what actually offends a lot of Christian men nowadays, because there is a certain ethos among a lot of Christian leaders, which frankly, can come across effeminate, or at least it, it, again, it can appear that way to a lot of others. And I think that's what Wilson really takes aim at. And whether or not that charge is true, those are fighting words to a lot of other men. So I think that's really what's at stake. It's not just the language, it's the charge. And look, people can defend themselves from that charge on their own. I'm, I'm not going to get involved there. But Wilson is speaking in the language of honor and shame. And that's what a lot of men aren't used to. We're, we're used to living in the culture of guilt and innocence. That's sort of the Western uh, default. Some other time I want to talk about how our culture is moving into the fear power paradigm, which is more the animistic culture of many other countries. But uh, Wilson, I, I think, has really recognized that we, we as a culture have moved into honor-shame dynamics. At, at the risk of this blowing up, I'm going to say this is exactly what Donald Trump did. This was his entire approach to things was praising certain people or insulting certain people when it came to like the, the war on terror type stuff. Like when I think they killed an ISIS leader, that was how he announced it. You know, he announced it in the language of like insult. It's funny to me, Stephen, first of all, that people were surprised by that <laughs> because we, we as a culture are very unserious and sarcastic and biting and roasting and we're surprised that we got a president out of that. We're surprised that we're getting this major ministry leader <laughs> with that same type of attitude. Like that, that's just a reflection of the time we're in as, as a culture. Like I, I, I don't, I think people should stop pretending to be shocked by it. 
But I'll say this too, that there's a deeper issue here that speaks to me, which is that we can sort of be bullied into having favoritism towards certain cultural groups as a sort of missional strategy, like, well, don't step on any of the toes of these people because that's going to hurt our witness. And what they mean is that's going to maybe make things more awkward with this missional target group. But what about all the other target groups? <laughs> you may be helping your witness with them by, by making this joke. You know, So it's, it's very calculated. The, the, the criticism of Wilson is coming from people who favor other missional target groups, I'll just say. But there's, there's something else even beyond a missional strategy, which is a lot of people in the church are just tired of getting hit over the head and being told that they are the problem, that the church is the problem in reaching the culture and the church is bad and wicked and abusive and corrupt and blah, blah, blah. A lot of people are just like, why is all this coming at me? And look, I'm going to name David French as one of the leaders of this whole movement. There are so many people I talk to that are are tired of being villainized for, for not really doing anything because we, we take seriously how Jesus says in John 17, that if you love one another, he says, the love you have for one another is going to be what testifies of me. And so we need to have a special love for our in-group, even more than an out-group. And I, I think this is, this could be a whole podcast, but I, certain people get that. Certain people are more in tune with loving the in-group, loving the inside of the church, and other people are not. Other people are more focused on the out-group, like, we got to reach. Now, I say this, and my job is evangelism and missions, okay? <laughs> yeah, you're safe from that, just like I'm yeah. safe. Well, he doesn't like satire. But certain personalities are geared towards loving the faraway out-group way more than the in-group, the people you're with in the church or the mission team. And I, I think that's actually a problem because you're not going to go very far if you don't have love for the people you're going with. I agree. I actually noticed this uh, some years ago uh, when I was writing a challenge, uh, I forget if it was for Lorehaven or for another site, where I was observing the phenomenon of a bunch of aspiring uh, Christian fantasy authors I was seeing who were giving up on the church. Like, the church isn't, uh, isn't uh, interested in the kinds of stories I want to write, so I'm going to go out to the world. Uh, and in which case I just would think about such a person, okay, having failed to climb the hill, you are now setting your sights on Everest. Um, from a philosophical vantage, I don't think that's going to work unless you are not writing Christian things. And increasingly, if you're trying to get into the top publishers, you will have to create things that are not Christian, or you may be a certain type of writer. Uh, you may have a particular ethnic background or sex that the publishers are not interested in right now. Thank you very much. In which case you have no hope of getting into like zero right now under the current publishing climate. Uh, so, so you're stuck. Uh, you may as well then, if you're a Christian who feels called to write stories uh, that are influenced, however subtly uh, by biblical worldview, you may as well just try loving your in group. Now, if your in group is abusing you, that's a different issue. But that is a hard case that is unfortunately all too common. And I think it's contributing to a lot of people thinking a lot more highly of the out group uh, rather than their Christian family members uh, in the local church. I can understand that, but that is an issue then that is a personal issue uh, that is now affecting uh, what kind of spice we're putting into these stories. And we, we need to move on to the, the sugary part here because there is an overcorrection, Zach. I think sometimes 
if people don't like the spicy stuff, the hard edge of satire, uh, they do seem to act like sentimentalists. And we've already talked about that on the podcast, so I won't belabor it here. There's a lot of uh, other stuff we've talked about, like even episode 179 about real men versus good men. Uh, there's a lot of uh, differences there. I would refer you to that episode for more of that conversation. Meanwhile, however, uh, let's go to our second sponsor, author Phyllis Wheeler, who has a new book out in her uh, Guardians of Time series. It is book two, Secret of the Lost Dragons by Phyllis Wheeler. Adventure and time travel for readers ages 8 to 11. Meet your award-winning family-friendly book series, Guardians of Time by Phyllis Wheeler. Jake and Ava, age 11, search for their kidnapped dog, now lost in time. They aren't alone. They have the help of a 700-year-old alchemist from the Guardians of Time Guild. A reader named Caleb, age 11, had this to say, Great story. Time traveling in a clock shop was interesting, cool, and funny. Stop by author Phyllis Wheeler's website for information and a special freebie, the prequel short story at phyllisweeler.com, P-H-Y-L-L-I-S-W-H-E-E-L-E-R.com. All links in the show notes uh, for episode 190. You can also get a special deal in the ebook for book one, The Dog Snatcher. It's on sale for 99 cents at all outlets through December 12 of 2023. That's in celebration of the debut of book two. Zach, that story sounds sweet, but maybe a little spicy with time travel and technology and stuff, which takes us into chapter two. What do we mean by the sugary or sweet creative works? Now, this is where everybody who was yelling at me in the last chapter uh, gets to have their moment because a lot of people pit sugary sweet versus spicy hot takes they think there cannot be a dish that includes both flavors and yet i think this one zach is a little bit easier to define than the spicy hot takes i mentioned earlier we can all imagine what types of sugary stuff we're talking about now and it's sentimentalism which i think we identified as one of the enemies of christian fantastical stories back in the spring we did a series about these three enemies what were they one was um sentimentalism with particular emphasis on Everybody's basically good, and it's just other things that have us do bad choices. And there's some Christian spinoff groups that actually believe this. And then other stories can kind of drift into it. And the other was sexualityism, and the other was deconstructionism. Here, I think it's a different uh, take on the sugary sweetness, uh, with particular attention to those movies that everybody loves to hate the Hallmark movies. Mm-hmm. Yet people seem to either hate watch those movies. Uh, including the people who are making them, they're all in on the joke. Everybody jokes about hate watching Hallmark. Maybe there's like Grandma Edna out there who watches all those movies completely unironically because she's so sweet and there's not a cynical bone in her body. Uh, but most people talk about watching them and they're super self aware, like, I know what this is. I'm going to enjoy it anyway. There's other examples, though, where people seem less aware of the fact uh, that some stuff is just too sentimental. And it's just sugary and it's full of calories and it's arguably not good for you. Don't want to get a jump on our almost inevitable review of the pop culture in 2023 episode, but the worst MCU and Disney movies definitely fit in this category. This is just too fattening. There's no substance here. There's nothing really. It's going to last like the switch metaphors. This is a flash in the pan. Uh, Other sugary sweet stuff. Kitsch, of course. Uh, evangelical kitsch, uh, silly little phrases that are embroidered onto a decoration, greeting cards, like that's easy to define. And yeah, the reason why I bring it up here and we pair it with the sweet uh, is because 
people will indulge with the sweet stuff unironically. And I want people to see the comparison. If you are sick and tired of the sweet stuff uh, and people indulging on it and not enjoying this in moderation, why in the world would we then go to this spicy, savory stuff, the hot sauce directly from the bottle uh, and act like the moderation principle doesn't apply just as much. Uh, And yet I do like sweet stuff. And it seems to me that the folks who like the sweet stuff are a whole lot more self-aware about it than the folks who like the spicy stuff. I'll say this in the next chapter. If you criticize the spicy stuff, people get very serious about it. How dare you? Are you trying to be one of those uh, nuanced fence sitters? Uh, Are you trying to just get steamrolled by the sexual revolution? And I'm thinking, no, I'm trying to be biblical. Like uh, the uh, prophet Elijah wasn't always dropping his hot takes. There was a moment when he had to go out in the wilderness and grieve and demand things of God. Uh, Jesus wasn't always blasting the hypocritical religious leaders. He was also very kind and tender at other moments. And I want us to be human. Uh, I want us to have a balanced diet. I want you to save the sweet stuff for dessert and use the hot sauce in moderation. But let's camp here a little bit, have some candy like Zach Hallmark movies. Do you all do those? Like what, what is the place for not just spicy stuff, but sweet stuff in the Russell household? Okay. So I'm going to talk about some of Naomi's favorites. Cause I got to confess these, this really isn't my fandom at all. Well, we're dudes. Um, it's not supposed to be a fan. Yeah. We're to be real men. Well, I and I don't even mean Hallmark Christmas movies. I, I mean, most Christmas movies. Look, I'm just going to confess. I, I don't care for it's a wonderful life. Miracle on 34th street or even white Christmas. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I grew up with all three of those things. These are favorites in my whole family. I don't care for them all. My fandom is Scrooged with Bill Murray. Okay. That, that's more my sarcastic, satirical, you know, impulse. That's because you're late Gen X, <laughs> Zach. You, you've yes, got exactly. that little bit of cynicism, just a, just a drop or two. But I'm going to try to do uh, honor to Naomi for, for her movies. So there's a bunch of movies on Netflix that she loves. There's The Christmas Prince, The, Pr- the Princess Switch. There's a bunch of movies like this on Prime. Are there lights strung up on the gazebo in the park? <laughs> she wants to watch uh, one called Destined for Christmas. And even this one, this may be more of a hate watch, she said. But <laughs> it's called Sappy Holidays. It's about a guy who runs his family's maple tree farm. And Naomi's like, well, even for someone who loves Hallmark movies, it's pretty bad. Wait a minute, they put the word sappy right in the title? <laughs> yes. I thought that it was going to be yes. ironic and self-aware. No, 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 no. It, oh, it's very no. on the nose. I mean, you know that the um, actors know this. Like, I'm sure I'm not in that fandom, so I don't see the behind the scenes, but yeah. I'm sure they know what they're doing. I'm sure that they're making fun of the of the soul. Oh, the, yeah, the, the yeah. Sappy they, they, know, they know what they're doing, but... But they're also doing it, and they're getting paid to do it, and I hope yeah. that they like doing it. Yeah. And, and here's what Naomi said about these movies. We talked about it last night. She said, I love these movies because they're sweet and there's always a happy ending, which is biblical. Which is one, biblical. One day when Jesus comes back, there will be a happily ever after. And a woman's heart longs for that, for the Prince of Peace to sweep her away. You know how it's going to end, so you don't have to worry about some horrible surprise. Okay, now we talked earlier about good comedy being about good surprises. Naomi is, is actually, um, <laughs> she's, she's famous for not liking to be surprised, not liking to be shocked. Uh, growing up, her younger brother used to always jump out and scare her. Um, I have to stop my son from doing the same thing to her all the time. I'm like, mom does not like to be surprised and shocked. 
even when I proposed to her, I got a little bit in trouble because I, I sowed some disinformation and uh, made her uh, think that it was going to be some other time and place. And then I had some disinformation. I, I showed up <laughs> at a different time and she wasn't expecting and I proposed to her and, and she was totally in shock. So she doesn't like surprises. Uh, and so it makes sense that she would like something predictable, something that she knows will have a happy ending. And because it, it nourishes that impulse and that, that expectation that Jesus will come back, that there will be a happy ending to the story that we're all living in. And it, but look, you know, she's, she's self-aware about these things. She got me to watch, uh, a movie that she still laughs at because even my sister made fun of her for this. It was called uh, the dog walkers Christmas. And this movie was very special to us because it was actually filmed at my grandparents' house. Really now. <laughs> okay. Was that an official Hallmark movie or just one of those, um, imitators out there? It was on, I, I don't know. So we, so we don't, we don't have Hallmark. I think there's, there's ways you can watch it with commercials, but we, we typically wait till one of these makes its way to Netflix. This was on Netflix. I'm not sure if it started on Hallmark. Nicole, my sister, made fun of it. She's like, these actors don't even know how to walk dogs. Like, they don't even know what they're doing. And Wow, that's a special skill. Um, okay. Yeah, but this is like the one Hallmark movie I, I have watched, Stephen, because again, it was like, hey, they filmed this at my, th- this was after my grandparents sold the house like years and years later, but it was a really big house and they were able to use it as like three or four different locations. So that was really fun. And then I got to pause the video and say, oh, this is the room where we used to do this or do that. But then after the movie, Nicole bought Naomi some socks that on the foot, it says, if you can read this, I'm watching Hallmark Christmas movies. Because <laughs> Naomi just unashamedly likes them, even if we can kind of make fun of them. She's, she just loves them. Now, see, there's something refreshing about that. Uh, unashamedly liking something. We, we were talking about Lewis and the screw tape letters. And Zach, you mentioned in our last episode, the screw tape hates it when people just let themselves go and unashamedly like something that is not sinful. That is wonderful. I would say that's a godly impulse. Uh, it actually, I think, is part of the practice of humility. And as a result, screw tape hates it. And if someone, for example, unashamedly likes uh, the hot takes satire, uh, there's a way to do that without guile. There's a way to do that that is not cynical. And I think it it follows that you laugh at the thing and then you move on with your day. Again, you're using it as seasoning. You sprinkle a little hot sauce on the burger. You're not drinking it directly from the bottle all the time in order to uh, try to make the pain go away. And yeah, I think there's also a wrong reason to like either too much sugary stuff or too much spicy stuff, especially the holidays when there's grief going on. Almost everybody we're talking to right now has some of that going on, especially as you get older. It is inevitable. It's part of living in a groaning world. And yet people, I think, can retreat to the sugary stuff and even the promise of a happy ending and then binge on it. And that's all you want. And so, you know, in in kind of a violation of uh, the idea of the the Philippians uh, think on these things, like you're only thinking about the sweet stuff and you're not thinking about whatever is just and true. There are some hard realities in the world that we are supposed to think about. We're not supposed to get lost in just the sugary stuff and to uh, follow the metaphor, too much sugar and you get overweight, you know, you get disease, you get problems uh, inside the body. It's, It's good in moderation. But I have noticed that people will do this with the spicy stuff too. It's a means to make the pain go away. I want to laugh. I want to pretend uh, that that alert is not going off. 
I want to pretend that I'm not really missing this person, but feeling guilty about missing them because they were kind of terrible too at the holidays. Like that kind of stuff can lead someone to browse the hot takes or the clickbait or think about that big battle going on out there and then maybe not deal with the pain that's going on as a result of living in a groaning world. So that'll give you emotional indigestion and particularly Christmas time. I think it's worth it to issue that warning. These things can be hazardous to your health, not because they're poison, but because they're supposed to be enjoyed in moderation. The reason I don't like these movies as much is it's funny. I, I am kind of an idealist at times. So you think I would like something more idealistic and wholesome it just doesn't ring true for me in some ways for the same reason that these movies ring true for Naomi. They, they ring hollow for me. And again, that's just my personality, my disposition. It's harder for me to enjoy something that doesn't reflect the way that I feel about the world. And even especially about the holidays, which as you said, can be very hard. Um, that's why I'm, I'm more, I'm more into the movies like Scrooged, you know, the, the ones that kind of the dark comedies. Now I'm not really into the, Christmas horror movies, if that's a genre. Like I, I remember this one called Santa's Slay, S L A Y. <laughs> oh, so many bad puns just yeah. relating to that bad pun. And I even remember a wholesome Christmas movie that made fun of horror Christmas movies. I can't remember the name of this movie, but there was a character that was like an actor. Like in, in the movie, he was an actor and he was being asked to audition for some gritty. Christmas movie. Zach, that's Ernest Saves Christmas. Is I'm that what sorry it is? to say that's literally okay. what it is. Yeah. They were yeah. making fun of that. Yeah. And I but I that resonated with me, okay. Cause I'm like, okay, I see I see you finding the edges here, right? It's like you're you're acknowledging that there is this kind of thing in the world. There is this sort of reality, but you're not going there as the character, and I can respect that. And yeah, I I grew up on the Ernest movie, so I did like those, but they're they're comedies, they're they're good comedies, but they acknowledge that kind of dimension of the world. Now, I must give a plug for my favorite so far Christmas movie, straight up Christmas movie of all time, and that is Arthur Christmas. Okay. The animated action adventure comedy from Ardman Studios came out uh, about maybe 13 years ago. Uh, and kind of bombed at the theaters, but through no fault of the movie zone. Zach, have you seen Arthur Christmas? No. <gasps> you are in for a treat. Come over. I will loan it to you and or we'll watch it together. I already saw it in uh, Louisville with my um, brother-in-law and my sister. But this is Arthur's sweater. I literally am wearing now his sweater that uh, just came in a few minutes before I sat down to record. So uh, thanks, U.S. Postal Service. <laughs> uh, Arthur Christmas matches... Um, both sugary and spicy perfectly. Uh, it's set at the North Pole. It's, you know, this is how Santa, it's one of those, this is how Santa does everything, but it makes the old and the new the theme of the movie. You know, the nostalgia of Christmas versus the new kind of more cynicism and, you know, this is a business, this is high tech, this is a high tech operation. Well, have we not uh, lost the soul of Christmas? But then it's, it's more about the generations of Santa's family. Uh, at least three of them and two brothers all put together with their different takes on Christmas. And it is absolutely wonderful. And a lot of people agree that Grand Santa, a voice by Bill Nighy, steals the show. He's the spicy. He's the guy dropping the one-liners. He's the cynic. Uh, and then he is, uh, he's, he's the edgy comedy guy, uh, whereas Arthur himself is just all sweet and earnest. And his uh, older brother, Steve, is basically the, the big business uh, aspirational type. Uh, whereas we realized, unfortunately, that... Um, 
Santa himself uh, kind of reminds one of a, uh, <laughs> a rather faltering leader. <laughs> but I, I highly recommend watching Arthur Christmas as an example of both of these elements in moderation. They got some great writing uh, there at Ardman to write to Arthur Christmas. And perhaps you too want to become a great writer. Sponsor three, EJ Kitchens is back with the I Write How to Write a Novel course. Are you looking for a fun yet challenging writing class for your teen or yourself? I Write How to Write a Novel is an online writing course that will teach you how to write novels that your friends and even strangers will want to read, how to overcome writer's block and gather ideas, and much more. A mentorship option is also available to go along with the course. I Write is taught by EJ Kitchens, a professional copy editor, former college lab instructor, and award-nominated author of the Star Clock Chronicles and Magic Collector's books. For more information and to enroll, visit ejkitchens.com slash courses. Look atop the show notes for episode 190. That looks like a fantastic option, especially going into the new year. Uh, our podcast is for fans, so we don't talk about writing a whole lot. There's a lot of overlap between people who love these stories so much, hopefully with earnestness, that they also want to create some of their own. So be sure to check that out in the show notes. All right, chapter three. How can we enjoy either treat the uh, spicy, savory stuff or the sugary sweet stuff in moderation? First off, uh, you know, maybe I should have put this at the top of the show. When I say moderation, uh, instead of something like gray areas or even discipline or something like that, um, this is a concept that is rooted in scripture. It is about biblical maturity. Uh, it's in all of the scripture texts that encourage us to practice self-control. There's actually an older word that I really like uh, that got associated with some other stuff going on in the 20s. It's a final word, temperance, uh, being a temperate person, being even tempered, uh, not going to extremes, not because you're trying to win the world for Christ or be the good cop Christian to reach your uh, uh, favorite special group of unsaved. That is probably really more of a, uh, a picture of yourself that you're trying to reach Often, I think a lot of that is self-soothing, but that's beside the point. This isn't about evangelism or reaching the world for Christ. It's about being like Jesus. Jesus was spicy and he was kind and, and sweet, not saccharine, but appropriately kind. Uh, that's the kind of person we're trying to be. Uh, and that's what the apostle Paul recommends all throughout all the epistles, like the, uh, Philippians 4 text that I mentioned earlier, uh, the word temperance uh, is used, or the word moderation is used in uh, the KJV for Philippians 4. And here's that text in the ESV. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now that word reasonableness there is uh, translated moderation in the KJV. Uh, so moving on. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise. Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I don't see anything um, squishy there. I don't see somebody trying to be effeminate. I don't see uh, somebody uh, trying to just get away from conflict, uh, escaping into either sweetness or spiciness. 
I see someone trying to be like Jesus. I see someone seeking peace. I see someone uh, trying to be moderate, uh, not to be um, legalistic or all dour and wrongly serious. Uh, I see Paul saying rejoice. The frame here is joy. Joy leads to moderation, leads to reasonable choices uh, in order to avoid anxiousness. Instead of being anxious, Paul says, I want you all to be thankful. I want you all to be praying and asking God for what you need and then being filled with the peace of God that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the goal we ought to have um, rather than uh, indulging too much in the spicy stuff or the sugary stuff. Well, I like how you've kind of pulled out some of these words, uh, you know, the what, whatever is pure and whatever is just. So those could be entirely different genres, right? When I think about whatever is just, I, I think about action adventure or frankly, even horror movies, because it's usually about trying to right a terrible wrong. Right. Or a crime drama or yeah. even a war movie. Or right. a superhero movie, for that matter. You know, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, that's your Hallmark Christmas movies. And, you know, Naomi enjoys those for a very good reason, as do many people. And I think that's fine. Think about those things. Uh, but I, I think both of these genres can be included in this verse. Um, if it's because I think the key word there at the end is if there is any excellence, you know, like. <laughs> Naomi is self-aware to, enough to know that there are good and bad Hallmark movies, right? And I'm self-aware to know that there are good and bad, sarcastic <laughs> Christmas movies. You know, I mentioned Scrooged. I think that's one of the better dark comedies of the Christmas season. But I do agree about the moderation part, Stephen. I, I probably need to watch less of those movies. I kind of want to watch more movies with some kind of spicy flavoring to them, as you said, some kind of edge. So. I love Home Alone. You know, th that's a very wholesome movie when you think about it. It's actually very respectful towards towards Christianity, towards the church, towards the family. It obviously has a very flawed family at the kind of the center of it. There's a lot of things you could say about the creator, uh, John Hughes, and, and sort of his view of things uh, with the family. But overall, that that's about someone facing evil, someone facing loneliness. Uh, a mother trying to reunite with her son, uh, protect him. Uh, you know, a young man kind of growing up on his own and having to face a lot of dangers, which resonates very much with things I went through as a child. But then there's even movies like The Muppets Christmas Carol, right? Where it's just a wholesome story, but with the humor and the silliness of the Muppets, but also some, you know, pretty legitimately scary parts if you're a kid. And we had to ask our kids, like, are you guys doing okay? Because yeah. there are some, they, they don't pull punches when it comes to the, you know, the ghost of the Christmas future. I love the part where Gonzo and Rizzo say, okay, guys, this is where it gets a little dark. We will see you after it's over. <laughs> just, just a wonderful yeah. training wheels approach too to a darker element of, of an iconic classic scene uh, that is meant to convict Scrooge. You know, that the meme is correct. Uh, that Michael Caine is surrounded by Muppets and he is like, I'm going to play this thing as serious as a car accident. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. true. Oh, or as uh, Tim Curry acts like a Muppet in, uh, in, in Muppet Treasure Island. Uh, either approach is great. And, uh, and, and the Muppets uh, occasionally have done this with, uh, yeah. with perfect balance. Now, I, I will say that what I actually want to watch it is a movie more like The Two Towers. Okay. 
I mean, I think that's a well, Christmas movie. The Lord of the movie. Rings trilogy is a Christmas, Christmas movie. films. Yeah, absolutely. And, and is, you know, the meme comes up every year. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Yeah, yes, but Spider-Man is a Thanksgiving movie. Right. And let me make a comment on that. I, I also like, I, Die Hard is not necessarily my fandom. I'm not going to pretend that. But not I get why people love it because it's about a man trying to reunite with his wife, protect her, fight the bad guys all at Christmas time. You know, he's, he's really sacrificing himself. It's yeah, heroic. That's, that's very sweet. Actually. Yeah. There, there's a very, there's that's a lot lovely. of wholesomeness in this, but it's wholesomeness with an edge. Yeah. F bombs and pictures well, and things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> at least not, if you watch the, uh, the non TV edit, don't, I think a lot of people have affection along. for that because yeah. of a TV edit. Yeah. yeah, that's right. The, uh, the flower bed bombs instead of the other one. Oh, that's uh, a flower bed. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It's the, <laughs> the, a niche Babylon B joke. <laughs> well, we're a little into overtime here, uh, but I, just a few quick thoughts about Philippians four there. Uh, cause I've kind of been here where when people will say, well, whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is noble, and you just roll your eyes and go, you're using this as a clobber verse. Mm -hmm. You're trying to keep me from watching those uh, spicy, savory cartoons. Like you're, you're trying to keep me from doing what I need to do to either protect people uh, or to do something good in the world that is just or noble. Uh, and I would agree with that response to an extent. Philippians 4 does not rule out edgier parts of reality, and it certainly doesn't overthrow the Bible. Uh, you go to the prophet Ezekiel, you know, if, if some Christians were to tell Ezekiel, hey, you, you, you ought not be being so mean about things. You know, whatever is true, whatever is good, like, be peaceable. And Ezekiel says, the invaders are coming. This is what God has told me to say. I have to say it. Uh, or, or Isaiah or any of the other prophets. Like Go through Hosea. There's a whole lot more of whatever is just and whatever is true there uh, and not a whole lot of sweetness. Hosea was dropping the spicy hot takes for his time <laughs> in a specific context for a specific reason. Yeah. But even Hosea wouldn't have wanted to live that way. There is a time and place for those things. I think even the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes would say there is a time for spicy. There's a time for sweetness. Uh, and, and a lifetime should include both of those. Whereas if you're getting way too serious about uh, only indulging in the spicy hot takes, or you're getting way too serious and don't want to be challenged because maybe you're enjoying too much of that saccharine sweetness and it's not healthy for you. And if those people hear the challenge and then they react as if you're trying to get them to eat only uh, fat-free kale casserole, then you got issues. Now, you're not trying to be like Jesus. You're just trying to be not like a legalist. And those are two very different things. Jesus himself had a lot to say about food not making you sin, but the entire New Testament is full of advice about food, meat, sacrifice to idols. What are the stigmas attached to the food that might make somebody else stumble? Uh, is the wine actually going to be good for you? Be ye not drunk with wine, but filled with the spirit, you know, moderation, moderation, moderation. And I think if maybe like I'm going too far with the hot takes or uh, the sugary sweet stuff, either way, if someone uh, were to say, Hey, this is affecting you a little bit. Uh, you, you seem to be a little more cynical. Like you, you've lost that joy that you have for watching a, a fun, wholesome Christmas movie. And what, what's wrong? Maybe you ought not listen to the podcast so much. And I've had to correct myself several times that, like, yeah, let's, let's hold off on the hot sauce. You know, I'm going to switch between uh, the hot take podcast and then the audio book of this, uh, you know, medieval story. And of course, the music that I've enjoyed this year. Everybody's posting their Spotify wrapped. And uh, my top song, by the way, if anybody cares, uh, is the uh, Make It So track from Star Trek Picard Season 3. I apparently <laughs> listened to it 
way, way more often. Maybe I did indulge in that some uh, this year, and so I need to practice <laughs> moderation. Uh, but a good balance, like even just the listening habits has helped me and hopefully enables us to keep uh, things in moderation. But if you're getting mad because somebody thinks maybe a little too uh, in denial of reality or a little too cynical about things and you defend your freedom, well, then I go back to our episode about the purpose of freedom that I did based on Galatians 5.13. There is a purpose for freedom, and it's to enable us to love Christ and serve one another, uh, not just freedom for its own sake. And if you get that freedom out of whack, if you're binging on the hot sauce or binging on the sugary treats, it's not even going to make you happy ultimately. It's certainly not going to help you uh, fight the battles that you need to fight or care for your family or any of those things. Instead, you know, your parents are right. You shouldn't have eaten too much candy and now you're sick. You, you had too much sugar. Uh, you're going to get a disease sometime. Whereas uh, if you drink too much hot sauce, guys, that could burn off your stomach lining and you need the stomach for battle. You need to be able to hold down nutritious foods, uh, maybe with some spice, but there's a time and place for everything. At worst of all, I think uh, if you indulge with this kind of thing, it will deaden your sense of delight in the Christ for whom we fight. And at Christmas, it's kind of a battle sometimes, like grief and the actual culture war on Christmas uh, or the denial that it is about Christ's birth. Like th those are some struggles that we are undergoing. Uh, let's not indulge in some um, bad culinary tastes. Uh, let's practice moderation and enjoy these things as issues of taste, even if they're not issues of exact right and wrong. What will help us avoid the extremes is having the right approach and, and avoiding sort of a negative ethos, if, if you could call it that. So earlier I mentioned this, this idea of if you want to know who rules over you, ask who you are not allowed to criticize. And I, I think the, the impulse is to take that and say, well, as long as I'm making the wrong people angry, then I must be doing the right thing. And boy, yeah, you could, you could apply that. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that's not a, that's a negative. Uh, it's that, certainly no way to positional live. ethos. Right. Yeah. But I don't even think you should do that. Not even once. Like what, what is the <laughs> point of that? You could take that approach and plug in either the sugar or the spicy kinds of stories and that say, well, so true. all of the joyless scolds out there don't like these, these types of comedies. So I'm going to keep watching them because just to trigger them, but you could go the other way and say, Oh, all the jerks in our culture don't like these wholesome Hallmark movies. So I'm just going to keep watching more of them just to stick it to them. You know, <laughs> like you, you can, that, that's not a way to live is just live in opposition to people you don't like. I mean, yeah. it's, I, I think you're right to center this verse, Stephen, is to say, you know, practice these things so that the God of peace will be with you. Like that, that should be the goal is like, you're, you're enjoying different kinds of stories for different reasons so that you can celebrate different virtues. And it's, it's not saying here, we're not saying here that sugary or spicy stories are bad, it, but it, it's, it's the reason you're going there. And like, what are you trying to accomplish from those? Are you trying to celebrate certain virtues, which can be found in both? I mean, I'll be honest, like right now, I, I've much more feel like watching a horror movie or a dystopian movie. I mean, yeah, Christmas coming up without my sister Nicole. I don't really feel like watching Elf, even though I like Elf. I feel like watching Gattaca, a very dystopian sci-fi movie about uh, sort of this uh, world where 
you know, superior genetics uh, are what get you ahead in society because Nicole had a lot of genetic disadvantages from from Wilson's disease, uh, cancer, and so forth. And yet it was about someone who overcame all of those challenges and w- was able to to join the the space program, which was also Nicole's lifelong mission. You know, that movie is hard to watch uh, for a lot of reasons, but it really resonated with Nicole and it and it resonates with me for other reasons. Quite honestly, just some horror movies resonate with me right now because not all horror movies, there's a lot of horror movies I just don't care for at all. But there are certain kinds where it's it's like the monster in the house or trying to escape some kind of monster pursuing them. That resonates for some very personal reasons for me. When the story is about someone overcoming that monster, like that, you know, like that Chesterton quote, everyone kind of butchers, like we watch or we we read stories about dragons to know they can be defeated. That that's the reason why. And that those kinds of stories where there's an actual dragon, you know, nowadays, like the dragon stories, oh, the dragons are friendly and you can go for a ride and be buddies. No, dragons are supposed to be evil and destroy everything. <laughs> like that's the dragon story I want to read. Well, they have to defeat the dragon, and that can show up in a lot of different ways in modern stories. But quite honestly, that's that's where you know my mind is right now. That's where my affections are. Like I, the the world feels a lot dimmer right now without my sister. The world feels a lot darker because of some other things going on. Um, I I would rather read or watch a story where people are facing real darkness and they overcome it. Because I, I want to draw courage from that. I want to draw a sense of hope that, that these things can be overcome. Well, speaking of a giant dragon-like creature who spews fire, I am looking forward to Godzilla Minus One, uh, which uh, not only looks to be an absolutely fantastic uh, Japanese Godzilla movie, uh, but uh, I, I kind of hope that it's going to give uh, Disney's wish a little curb stomp <laughs> this weekend, <laughs> which seemed just to be a, a, a little bit of a beautiful irony there. Um, somebody actually is Darby Kern in my uh, comment section the other day is a previous podcast guest. Uh, he said it is Bambi versus Godzilla 2023. <laughs> and if you don't know what that is, faithful listener, uh, look that up. So I'm going to enjoy Godzilla. I'm going to enjoy some uh, savory stuff. I'm going to enjoy some sweet stuff. But I think I'll wrap this up and put a bow on it uh, with an unscripted reference to the incarnation. A lot of Christians don't like the idea or, or they, they blanch at the idea of sweet baby Jesus in the manger because they got so much of that sentimentalism when they were growing up. Uh, and now they much prefer thinking about Christ, the conquering king who has the ultimate spicy hot take with the sword of fire from his mouth with which he slays his enemies. Uh, upon his uh, uh, return to the earth, but Christ came to the earth first as an innocent, helpless baby. There was uh, blood in the stable and all that. It was a messy birth, as Andrew Peterson rightly sings, but there was also sweetness to it. And I think it's good that we have that at Christmas time. There's a time to celebrate that, and yet the light is more beautiful when you see it shining in the darkness. And then you also need to get to Christ's second coming when he will destroy his enemies, the ultimate expression of righteous war. Uh, and then he will bring in the kingdom. Uh, and then that kingdom, I think there's going to be a limited place for the spicy hot takes. Guys, the culture war is going to be over. Uh, as for hot takes, they will pass. 
Uh, as for uh, the uh, the clickbait titles and uh, you know the sports comedies and all that, uh, there may be no need for those things to make fun of our enemies. I, I don't see any point to them other than relics. But the sweetness and the coziness and some of that stuff will continue. So one of these arguably is temporary at best, uh, and the other is a little bit more permanent. So I guess I got to say sweetness has the edge here, eternally speaking. I guess we will find out, but we know that no unclean thing will be allowed in the city. Uh, and that is to the credit of Christ, uh, who came uh, not just as the conquering king, that's later, but he is, of course, our Prince of Peace. So to you, our listener, here's what we would love to know. What are your favorite spicy or sugary movies or books that you bring out during this season? And which ones do you feel like, nah, maybe I need to put that aside for a season or maybe not watch this three times, maybe just twice, maybe just once. Um, where are you at in kind of discerning this topic? So send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com, comment on our episode page, or tag us anywhere you find us on social media. And let's go to the comm station and hear some comments we got previously. This was from Wilda, who remarked about Marion Jacobs' mixed movie review of Journey to Bethlehem. And Wilda says, quote, my husband and I just saw it and we enjoyed the music and the beauty, but we really did not like how they portrayed the three kings. We did not like the comedic part. It felt weird and disrespectful. Why did they choose to have King Herod's son in a role and more importantly, choose to help them escape is beyond our understanding. Why not stick to the story in truth? I enjoyed it for the most part, but I can see how some Christians will have a problem embracing it. End quote. Um, Wilda, I, I resonate with a lot of that. I, I actually had a bigger problem with the comedic aspect with the angel Gabriel uh, you know, the, the three Gabriel kings, bonks his head. It goes yeah. bonk. And right. I wanted to leave Re rehearsing his lines, being nervous. Oh, that, too. Oh. that was weird. Uh, the, the, for some reason, the three Kings being goofy didn't bother me as much. I mean, cause it's a goofy movie. I, I think the Herod son, uh, storyline, it's like this redemption arc. It, it just didn't feel like the same genre. Although it's a I, completely I different really movie. Yeah, I want I that really movie. Liked it. Yes, I liked I want, it too. And I it was one of the it. for King and Country guys. He did a good yeah. job. But he he was oh, just he was ignoring all fantastic. the dumb hijinks around him, and and like the man can act, and he's got a yeah. voice. So, uh, he he's not just a guy you turn on to sing "Little Drummer Boy." He does other songs. No, I mean I still I'm singing that song in my head still. The in, in my blood, you know, I'm not going to sing it out loud. Don't worry. But I even thought they should have done more with that. Agreed. But musicals are weird like that. Like what, you know, what is a, what is the genre of a musical? A lot of musicals have drama and comedy and tragedy. So it's, it can sort of be that genre blender. I think what they missed at the end, well, this is a spoiler. If I, maybe I shouldn't give spoilers. I, I thought there was a big missed opportunity with a moment with Herod's son at the end. Um, but I appreciated what they were trying to do, which was sort of explain why if Joseph is returning to Bethlehem where his family is from, why couldn't he find a place to stay assuming he had relatives there? And I, I thought there was an interesting explanation for that, but it was more that they raised that question. I thought was interesting. I thought they could have had a better explanation, which is that Joseph was shunned from his family. 
because he was going to quietly divorce Mary for the sake of honor for her being pregnant uh, before they got married. And then he decided to marry her because of the dream the angel gave him. Well, I imagine he would have gotten fallout as well. He could have been disowned from his family. And I, I think that would have been a more interesting, again, that gets into more of the honest sort of gritty Christmas stories that I like that really acknowledge how screwed up the world is. Uh, yeah, I, I, I will say though, I'm glad they made this movie because uh, Dallas Jenkins recorded a video about it and kind of gave his thoughts. And he said something, which I keep thinking about Stephen, which is uh, essentially the Bible is our fandom and we should make more stories about it in more genres than we've had before, because there are so many genres in the Bible. And there are so many genres available to us as storytellers. We should tell more stories. And hey, it doesn't have to be your favorite one, it, but it's it's great that they made it. I agree. It's one of those movies that I think I am glad exists, but uh, I wanted to cease to exist in some of the moments. And that's no slight on the filmmakers or the, certainly their motivations. I, I don't agree uh, that to make a biblical fiction drama, you need to stick only to the Bible. And you must not contradict what is in the Bible. That is an absolute must. But uh, the Bible doesn't say that Herod's son wasn't there. You know, it, it's a, it gets a little bit um, squishy. I'm not going to say gray area. I'm not going to say gray area. But that's the point of biblical <laughs> fiction. It is an adaptation. It is a, um, a version of the story, a retelling. I will say that that uh, with Herod's son was the strongest part of the movie to me. Plus a uh, Herod portrayed by Antonio Banderas. So in one moment I kept, I just, I'm sorry. I keep hearing Puss in Boots. I know he was Zorro and everything as well. well. I'm thinking Spy Kids. But I, okay. Well, the Spy Kids too. Yeah. There's a terrific <laughs> actor and apparently he had a great experience and he's like, wow, I think I, I should do some more Bible movies. And I'm like, yes, mm, you probably yes, should do. Yeah. Even if you don't get to chew up the scenery on purpose. <laughs> uh, some of that stuff was just dopey. Uh, but you know, Herod, Herod was great. Uh, and Herod's son even better. I, I wanted to see that movie, and yet I would say that the better story uh, about a Roman soldier who acts all cynical, uh, but then is overwhelmed uh, by the arrival of the Christ child, whom he believes is the hope of the world, a better story is actually an Adventures in Odyssey two-parter from the early 90s called The Star. Absolutely mm. wonderful dramatization there, biblical fiction, uh, and the man who plays uh, the, um, uh, the Roman soldier, Proclus was his name. Uh, is actually, I forget his name, but he's the actor who does the voice of uh, Triton, the Little Mermaid's father in the original movie. Terrific, terrific voice actor. He did a lot of Odyssey voices back in the day. So it's another recommendation of a, uh, a savory yet sweet story uh, that helps to illustrate uh, a nativity reality there. Oh, we got another comment, though, about um, an older article, which is a news article about a year old now uh, when the Daily Wire announced they were doing the Pendragon Cycle series. Uh, that one keeps coming back because people are very interested in that. Interestingly, Zach, that article mentioned that they were also doing some kind of Ayn Rand thing, and that's what they led with. But I led with Ayn Rand, nothing. Who cares? You guys are going to do the Pendragon cycle. That sounds extraordinary. I've forgotten all about that. Yeah. yeah, me too. Everybody has, including them. Obviously, Pendragon rose to the top, and I hadn't heard nothing about no Ayn Rand stuff. I don't figure it was Atlas Shrugged or the Fountainhead or whatever. Some libertarian thing i don't really care about but but tyrian a reader of that article uh didn't care much for some content in stephen lawhead novels and he, he wrote a comment there in so many of his book series tyrian says lawhead includes casual disregard and sometimes verbal and physical abuse of female characters mm. i never finished the pendragon cycle but i remember this distinctly in hood in one scene robin hood the hero 
slaps Marion and then justified his actions as necessary. It is sickening and not in line with biblical values. Well, that's a rather serious charge there. I've not read Hood either. In fact, my uh, lawhead exposure has been embarrassingly uh, low, but I did just finish the Taliesin novel and I, I didn't see any of this kind of content in there. Um, I saw respect for women. In fact, his female hero uh, feels refreshingly amazing. as uh, the best kind of female character who has like all the super action skills, but there's a reason for it. And yet she's vulnerable. She has a journey to go on. Uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, reading book two. Uh, looks like the casting for this series is pretty good because I see the actress they chose for her and I'm like, yep, that's her. That's Karis. Um, but I've not read Hood. I would question, though, um, whether the author himself would approve a Robin Hood uh, uh, slapping Maid Marian. Unfortunately, Zach, that turns into the Batman slapping Robin meme for me as I say it. Uh, that's completely unserious and maybe even flippant. Uh, I'd be very interested to read that book and see, okay, was it that bad? Is it something that either he should have been sorry for uh, or was later repented of? Uh, was it an exception that proves the rule? I think these are questions that readers need to ask, even for something that seems really terrible like this. If the character makes a pattern of it or the author is obviously smiling upon such a deed, uh, then we got issues. Uh, but I don't think that that necessarily disqualifies uh, the book. Uh, yeah, it all, it all comes down to if, if the story rewards a character for acting badly or if the story punishes a character. Yeah, was made Marion enchanted by uh, Morgan Le Fay from Arthurian mythology. You know, I'm mixing the eras there. Yeah. Uh, and you have to slap her to wake her up. Like, that's different, for example. But it, it it's could be very different like than the kiss to wake trigger. her up, I guess. Oh, yeah. yes. Well, <laughs> you know, you, you got to get uh, you got to get consent uh, for that for sure. Um, yeah, questions you usually need to ask whether you're reading a sweet story or a savory story or uh, an epic fantasy like that. So we'll, we'll continue to uh, explore that. I'm, I'm probably going to get more into the lawhead verse this year, uh, personally, as well as professionally. And so you'll be seeing more about that at, uh, lorehaven.com where you need to subscribe in order to get the good stuff, uh, articles on occasion, our weekly reviews every Friday, uh, news like Marion Jacobs' uh, take on uh, the Journey to Bethlehem movie, and of course the weekly podcast episodes every Tuesday, except for holiday breaks. What's our next holiday break coming up here? Just so y'all know, don't expect an episode on Tuesday the 26th, the day after Christmas. We are going to be enjoying Christmas magic uh, of our own with our families separately. So we'll have two more episodes after this to close out our 2023 season, but you need to get the notifications for those by subscribing, lorehaven.com free to subscribe. You can get whatever updates you like, including for those Friday reviews, like the one we just did for a soul as cold as frost. Very interesting wintry fantasy uh, that one of our reviewers found and really liked so much. They were also doing a book quest for it. So that book quest has started in the Lorehaven Guild, our castle in the cloud on discord. We will email you the secret key to get in. If you subscribe free at Lorehaven. You'll also be the first to know if you subscribe uh, when we post that review uh, next Friday. Uh, the H.L. Burke uh, story, A Superhero for Christmas. Uh, reviewer liked that one as well. Uh, we got that in uh, for the season. So check that out at lorehaven.com and make sure you sign up and subscribe to Lorehaven Guild. Who knows? Maybe we'll throw a party if you are the 300th hero to pass into those magical gates. Next on Fantastical Truth, we still haven't talked enough about C.S. Lewis. Uh, did you ever read the Lewis essay, for example, we didn't mention in our last episode where C.S. Lewis criticized Trumpery? Now, he criticized Trumpery at the holiday season. It's a word we don't use often enough. Lewis laments about the Xmas season. They buy gifts for one another, such things as no man ever bought for himself. 
That's Lewis getting all spicy on his own, but he did love Christmas, and so did Professor J.R.R. Tolkien. In fact, Tolkien celebrated Christmas so hard that he actually ghost wrote letters from Father Christmas from the North Pole for his own children. Tolkien had his own Santa legends, and so we're going to talk about that with a special guest. What can we learn about critiquing yet celebrating Christmas from these two literary legends? That's on our next episode. Meanwhile, oddly enough, we got a little spicy talking about the spicy hot takes. Interesting paradox there, but I hope you heard the heart of our objections to not enjoying these things, whether spicy or sweet, but enjoying them in moderation. That's a biblical concept. Uh, Maybe you need to binge on this stuff because it makes you feel better about what's going on in your life right now. But I think it's better when we're struggling with that to look to Christ, look to the incarnate Savior, Look to the Prince of Peace, who does give us good gifts, like sweetness and spiciness, as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth.